Good morning, everyone. Morning. It's good to see you all here, and um, it's good to be here. I'd like to especially welcome friends and family of Chris and Mayanne as we come to celebrate the dedication of Mark Christian this morning. And um, he's looking very smart, I have to say. You see? Do you remember, Batiste, we saw that DVD that said, that's why I dress up smart and come to church. In the Bible, there are a number of psalms which, as many of you will know, are very emotional. Lots of ups and downs in the psalms, talking about how people feel. But they do always focus on God and bring God into situations. And Psalm 8 says this. This is put in more simple words than some Bibles have it. It says this, people are so small next to you, God. You put the stars and the moon in the sky and the birds in the air above the cows and the horses in the fields and the fish that swim in the seas. You created all the beauty in the world. People are so small compared to God who is so amazing. So let's stand and sing our first hymn together as we worship God this morning for the beauty of the earth. Well, it's wonderful to welcome everyone this morning and we're here, as I've said, for the dedication of Mark Christian. For those of you who are unaware of what a dedication involves or a dedication is, Um, It's slightly different to what you might do at other places. We don't have any water to pour over the poor child's head. Thank goodness, trauma and stress. We bless the child and we pour our blessing upon him, God's blessing upon him, and we commit ourselves to support Chris and Mayan as they bring Mark Christian up and they commit themselves to bring him up before God and to bring him to a point where he can recognise who God is. We thank God for the life of Mark Christian and we think about our own lives and thank God for the life that he has given us. And we follow the example of when Jesus was brought to the temple himself and God was brought into that. And we also follow the example of Jesus who himself blessed the little children and told others that children were important. And so that's what we do as we gather this morning before God. I'd like to invite Chris and Mayanne and Chelsea-Anne and Chloe-Anne and Mark Christian to come up to the front. Wonderful. And also we have, now, there are 28 godparents, but they're not all here. We might be able to fit everyone on because there's only 18 here today. So if I could invite the godparents to come up as well. Wonderful. Excellent. Just gather somewhere on the stage, that's fine, wherever you want to be. I'm loving the bow tie. Look at that. Wonderful. Brilliant. Welcome. It's good to see you all. Well, we ask a few questions of Chris and Mayanne as they bring Mark Christian here today. So, Chris and Mayanne, you have come to thank God for the gift of Mark Christian. 
You've come to dedicate yourselves as parents to care for him, to teach him and enable him to learn about Jesus, and to encourage him to get to know God and one day truly follow him. Chris and Mayan, do you thank God for the gift of your child, and do you accept the joys and the hard times and the responsibilities of parenthood? Will you make every effort to live in such a way that you will not be a hindrance, but will be a good example to your child? Do you promise to encourage your son to share in the life of the Christian community and to help him discover the good news of Jesus Christ? Brilliant. You see, these are the questions I remember when I'm about to scream at my children in the morning. Yes, I promise not to be a hindrance, but to be a good example. Now, Chloe-Anne, we asked you a question before. When it was Chelsea-Anne's dedication, we're going to ask you another one. And Chelsea-Anne as well, but I'm not sure that we'll get a response. But Chloe-Anne and Chelsea-Anne, will you promise to love and help care for your brother? Wonderful. You were brilliant. And when I went round to see you, I saw how you were caring for your brother. It was wonderful. Will you come and care for my children? <laughs> so what name have you given to this wonderful boy? Mark Christian Salcedo de Guzman. Mark Christian Salcedo de Guzman. Wonderful. What a wonderful name. Brilliant. Now, godparents, all of you. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. And I'd like you to respond in a positive way, because that would be very good. So do you promise to pray for Mark Christian and encourage him to follow Christ? We do. Do you support Mayan and Chris as they endeavour to bring their son up before God? We do. Wonderful. Now, we're going to um, have a little cuddle. Is that all right? Hello. Oh, are you looking that way? Yeah. Do you see everyone? Yeah. Do we look this way? No, just that way. Uh, oh, my microphone's fallen. Oh, we've all, we've fallen apart. That's what happens when you become a parent. Fall apart. Right, there we go. Well, this is Mark Christian. Maybe if we do a quick turn. They're a bit scary. What about these over here? Yeah. Oh, you know some of those. You say hello over here? There's two people waving. They're, they are friendly, honest. You see what I have to put up with up here? Yeah. No smiles. Any smiles? Oh, oh, you want to get down there? Oh, too much. Can you see your mum? Right, I'm going to ask everyone a question. You can stand. Would you like to stand? Oh, Paul is standing. Do you, as the people of God, endeavour to the best of your ability to offer Mark Christian and his family your love and support and to join Chris, Mayan, Chloe-Anne and Chelsea-Anne in sharing with him the Christian faith? We do, we will. Whatever you want to say, everything. Wonderful. Hello. There they are. Wonderful. Now... Oh, oh, we're going somewhere. Oh, you want to go back to your mum? Do you not want to stay with me? <laughs> oh, no, no, it's too much, too much. Too much, too much. 
a blessing on you, shall we? Mark Christian, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Come on, go back to mum. That's better. Get away from that crazy lady at the front. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for Mark Christian. We thank you for this wonderful family. We thank you for Chelsea Ann and Chloe Ann, for May Ann and Chris. We thank you for all these godparents who have dedicated themselves to support this family. And we thank you that they are part of the wider family here at the church. Lord, we ask that as Mark Christian grows up, as he develops and grows and changes, that you would give Chris and Mayan the courage, the confidence, the patience and the endurance that they need. We pray, Lord, you would give them the energy and strength that they need. And we ask most of all that in the way that they treat their children, in the way that they are with each other, that you would be seen and you would be known. We ask you to be at the centre of their family and we ask you to help us to do all we can to support and encourage them. We ask for your blessing upon this wonderful family in Jesus' name. Amen. I think a round of applause. And you, you can sit down now. Everyone can sit down now. Wonderful. Do you want to stay at the front? <laughs> too. I forgot, this is terrible of me, but I forgot to welcome Lydia back. Hello, Lydia. Lydia's back from Djibouti. Did I get that right? Because that suddenly came to me. Is that the right place that you've been? Wonderful. And did you enjoy yourself? Do you want to come up and say a little... No, on the spot, on the spot, too much. Come on, me. I'll ask you a question. I know, I know, on the spot's terrible. Shout at me afterwards. I'll ask you a question, so okay. it's simple. Lydia went to Djibouti for five weeks? Yeah. Yes, you're looking very brown. <laughs> did you just sit on the beach that whole time? No, I did a bit, but not only on... What, what kind of thing did you do? Um, so I was teaching some women English, so there were eight local women who didn't speak any English, who now speak a bit of English, <laughs> but they're going to carry it on, even though I've left, I think, because it was more successful than they were expecting. Brilliant. Yeah. And did you get to see different parts of where you were, get to visit um, anywhere? Yeah, so mainly I was just in the city, and then we did a few trips, so for Easter weekend... We went camping at the beach, nice. <laughs> which was fun, yeah. It's quite warm. Yeah, really hot. Yeah, we were just camping out under the stars. Oh, just under the stars? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. not like here then. <laughs> no, it's quite a shock, actually. Yeah, get a bit, you a bit cold? Here. Yeah, it's pretty cold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you get any rain? Uh, not really. There was like a storm, and then there was a lot of rain. But other than that, it was just hot. sunny and really hot. Yeah. And when did you get back? Uh, a week ago. Yeah. Oh, so you're just acclimatising. Yeah. yeah. Lucky you. <laughs> yeah. It's good to see you back. Thanks. And we want to welcome you back in some way. How do we do that? We just sit... Oh, yes, you see. You can sit there now. I'm so sorry. 
Shouldn't really invite people up when they're not prepared. But do chat to Lizzie about her trip and all the things that she did afterwards. Um, I'm sure there'll be a lot more for her to say. I'd like to invite Miranda up to read the Bible passage this morning. This is Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Thank you, Miranda. I know that not many people who normally come to this church are football fans. I don't know whether anyone who's visiting is a football fan. But I'm going to tell you about something that happened a few years ago, which you may or may not remember, depending on whether you like football. It was a Champions League final. Now, let me explain, because many of you don't even know what that is, I'm sure. It's where the top teams in Europe get together in a competition and then you have the final when they've knocked out all the other teams. And occasionally a British team gets into the final. There was a few years when there were quite a few in there, but occasionally a British team gets in. And this year it was, um, well not this year, the year I'm talking about, it was 2005 Don't know whether that rings any bells. You're all looking completely blank. So, no, I'll tell you. Liverpool were in the final. Now, have people heard of Liverpool? Not the place, the football team. Good. We're on on sure footing now. Liverpool were in the final, and they were playing AC Milan. Wonderful. That ring any bells? I'll just plough on. And they were in this final, and they hadn't been in a final, I think it was for 20 years because Liverpool were last in a final in 1985, it must have been then. No, yes, that would be right. And so 20 years, and they were in the final, and everyone was very excited. And I got some friends round, and we sat down to watch the football, and the first half was a disaster. By half-time, Liverpool were 3-0 down. Now, if you don't watch football, if you're 3-0 down, sort of a write-off, you've lost. And so at half-time we went into the kitchen and we had a little bit to drink and we were chatting and then the second half started and all my friends were like, well, I'm not going to bother. Liverpool have lost. And I said, oh, come on. I think they can do it. No one came in with me. I went in the lounge, sat on my own. Within the space of, I think it was a ridiculous amount of time, maybe six minutes, Liverpool had scored three goals and they were drawing. And I was in the lounge on my own going... Guys, guys, something happening here. You need to come in. 
at which point people suddenly decided that they wanted to support the football again. So they all came into the lounge and we watched the rest of it. It went to penalties. And on penalties, Liverpool won the Champions League. If you're football fans, you'd be very excited at that because it was very exciting and the night was very exciting. But you see, the thing is, on that night, I was a believer. I believed, or maybe I hoped more than believed, that Liverpool could come back from three goals down to win. Now, that doesn't happen very often because, to be honest, well, the fact that I'm right, that doesn't happen very often at all, but also the fact that I believe against the odds, that doesn't really happen. Because in a group of people, if you were to gather them together, I would be the one that would be the sceptical one, the pessimist, the doubter. I would be the one that was going, oh, no, it's never going to happen. But on that night, I was the only one who believed that something almost impossible could happen. And I was right. Something that I like to remind people of now and again when they're, you know, talking to me. And you see, that's, I think, why I have great empathy with the disciple Thomas, because I'm not normally a believer. And the disciple Thomas has been labelled as Doubting Thomas, as some of you may know. The reason we label him as Doubting Thomas is because this is one of the few things we know about him, that he doubted. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke, the only thing that is said about Thomas is his name, and that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, which is what we read today, up until the the bit that Miranda read, we have a little bit more information, but not a lot. We don't know a lot about him. For instance, we do know that he was a loyal follower of Jesus Christ. We do know that when Jesus told him to do something or to follow, that Thomas would follow. He never stopped doing that. But he was also slightly pessimistic about it. He would make comments like, oh, well, we'll follow you, but we'll follow you to our deaths, no doubt. You know, he was a bit pessimistic. He was a very obstinate character, very stubborn, possibly because he was quite sceptical, I imagine. Um, And he was a disciple of Jesus, and that's all we know. But the thing that he is remembered for, of course, is his moment of doubt. The moment he chose to disbelieve the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which, to be fair to him, can be understood, I think, because after all, being a follower of Jesus, he was well aware that after Good Friday, Jesus had died. Being a follower, he knew this. He was well aware that Jesus had been buried. He knew Jesus had been buried, and he knew that after all the trauma of Easter, Jesus was gone. One of the soldiers had pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water before he was taken from a cross. So Thomas knew that Jesus was dead. And what's more, Thomas had not been there when Mary and Peter had seen the empty tomb on Easter morning. He'd not met Jesus when Mary did in the garden, so he'd not experienced that. And of course, he'd not been there on the Sunday morning when Jesus had appeared to the disciples in the locked room. We don't know where Thomas was, we don't know what he was doing, but we do know that he was the one disciple who was missing when the resurrected Jesus appeared to all the other disciples after his death. And so when the other disciples said to Thomas, we have seen the Lord, 
It's really no surprise, at least to me, being someone who doubts things quite a lot, that Thomas chose not to believe. And it's also no surprise, given the rumours about the empty tomb and the disappearance of the body of Christ, that Thomas demanded proof. After all, he was a sceptic. He was an obstinate, pessimistic character, which is such a positive way to be remembered, isn't it? And so it's no surprise that Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side... I will not believe. It's no surprise that this sceptical, pessimistic, stubborn person wanted proof that Jesus had risen from the dead. And you know, it's a good job he did, really, isn't it? Because in response to this, seven days later, on exactly the same day of the week that he'd done before, in exactly the same room, in exactly the same way, when the doors were shut and the disciples were once again gathered together, Jesus appeared. Only this time, he came to see Thomas, to answer his doubts. He began by reassuring everyone, peace be with you. After all, Jesus had just appeared in a room of closed doors, so he said, peace be with you. But then he turns to Thomas, who had demanded this proof, and he says to him, put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting. And believe. Or if you like, a week to the day of his first appearance to the disciples, Jesus appeared again and in effect said to Thomas, Here I am, Thomas. I am back. Believe in me. And in response to this evidence, in response to this invitation of the risen Jesus, Thomas proclaims, My Lord and my God. And in that moment, the pessimist, the sceptic, the stubborn disciple who refused to believe becomes the very first follower of Jesus Christ to proclaim him as God. Up to this point, no one else had done that. But now Thomas becomes the first disciple who truly believes, if you like. Bringing full circle the words at the beginning of this gospel. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. My Lord and my God. It's an amazing turnaround for the one that we refer to as Doubting Thomas. And what amazes me even more is it... Is that it's a turnaround from this turnaround from skeptic to believer was only possible because Thomas doubted. After all, it was his doubt that brought Jesus back again to show this proof. Or if you like, it was his doubt that enabled him to encounter God in a new way. It was his doubt that drove him to look further than what his friends told him. It was his doubt that caused him to question them saying, We've seen the Lord. It was his doubt that brought him to accept the invitation of Jesus and recognise who God really was. Thomas didn't simply put his faith in a statement of belief that others told him about, and he didn't blindly believe what he didn't feel was true. Instead, he searched and he questioned and he quibbled. He lived out his sceptic stubbornness. 
until it brought him to a place where he could accept that Jesus was God. And you know, it wasn't as if at that point, when Thomas said, my Lord and my God, that he understood everything. It wasn't as if everything had been worked out and he knew exactly what was happening. After all, he was choosing to believe in someone who could walk through closed doors, who could eat real food, but also who could disappear from sight in a moment. It wasn't that everything was crystal clear. It was just that at that point, Thomas chose to believe. Thomas was saying, all right, I still have doubts. I still don't fully understand what is happening here, but I believe in you and I'm going to give you everything I've got from this point on. And this acceptance of Jesus as his Lord changed his life. It took Thomas from being a stubborn sceptic, who is forever known as Doubting Thomas, to being a missionary who travelled from the Roman Empire all the way to India to tell others about Jesus, and who ultimately died for his faith because he doubted and searched and questioned and then gave his all to God. You know, I don't know whether any of you, well, I don't know whether all of you can swim here, but I don't, if you can, I don't know whether you can remember learning to swim. I remember learning to swim. For some reason, it's one of those memories that's stuck in my mind because it seems such an amazing thing to me that suddenly happened. Because I used to go swimming each week. We had what you call family swimming, where you could hire the pool and you went swimming as a family or as a couple of families. And we used to mess around in the water all the time, but I couldn't swim. For ages, I couldn't swim. And then there came a point where my dad said, OK, Kate, you really need to learn to swim on your own. And so we were in the shallow end, and I remember him telling me exactly what I had to do. It's quite simple. This is what you need to do. And I thought, well, that sounds simple. But then I also remember the fear I think, how does this work? I don't understand how this flimsy bit of water is going to hold me up. That doesn't make sense. And then I remember sort of tiptoeing and half sort of putting my hands in and sinking and spluttering and thinking, well, this isn't working. It's not for me. And then my dad came up to me and he said, you know, Kate, you can't do it if you're in two minds, if you're just not really sure. You've just got to really go for it and believe that when you put your arm through the water, it will propel you along. And I did. I thought, right, I've got to go for this. And I remember the point that I stopped sinking, and I started to glide across the water. And it's the most amazing feeling to me. And the reason it happened was because I stopped tiptoeing and flapping around, and I went for it. And I believed that actually the water was going to hold me up. I didn't understand everything. I didn't understand how it happened or why it happened. But just like Thomas, once I committed to believe and I committed to what I was doing, I started to learn how to swim. And, you know, for me, the story of Thomas, rather than being a story of doubt, is actually a story of how we believe. Because in many ways, the ability to believe begins with doubt, It might be, like Thomas, that we doubt God, or it might be that we doubt the world, or it might be that we doubt our life, how we've always lived, what we've always done. But it's through these doubts that, like Thomas, we can start to question, and we can start to search, and we can start to investigate. We may or may not be as stubborn and as sceptical as he was, 
But in doubting, we're refusing to blindly believe and blindly accept what we've always been told. And in doing this, in searching, if you like, in a way, we call for God to reveal something new, just like Thomas did, until we come to a point when we can believe for ourselves. It doesn't mean that we fully understand, but it does mean that we start to learn more about what it is to be in a relationship with God. Because here in this depiction of Thomas, the first disciple in the book of John who really believed in Jesus, we have a picture of faith, if you like. Not a man who blindly followed or unthinkingly believed or never ever questioned, but a man whose belief went hand in hand with working out his doubts and his questions. A man who in his doubt called for God to reveal something more to him. And then, when something more was revealed, he chose to take a step of commitment towards Jesus. Because, you see, faith isn't the ability to believe what others tell us, and it isn't the ability to never question, and it isn't the ability to know lots and lots of things about God. Faith isn't about always being in a state of total belief and understanding without a shadow of doubt. And it's not about blindly believing something that we don't really trust. Rather, it's the courage to allow our doubts to lead to questions. And in questioning, to then take the next step of calling out to God to reveal something more to us. And then to choose to continue to walk with God in a journey of revelation. So that in our doubts, which we will continue to have all the time, and in our struggles, which we will face every day, and in our questioning, which never really goes away if we're thinking about our faith, instead of crumbling because we think it's all falling apart and our faith has gone to ruin, we call out to God to show us the next way forward, to show us the next step. And in doing so, we choose to walk with Jesus day after day, after day. Or if you like, we deepen our relationship with God. We deepen our faith. I don't know whether any of you have ever been to the maze maze over in Milton and ever been in the maze maze. I've never been in that one, but I have been in a couple of other maze mazes. And I don't know whether you're any good at a maze. Do you go straight through and get to the end? I mean, I don't. I remember going with a lot of young people once a few years ago and I had to hold the bags so I couldn't go in the maze, you know, because I had to look after the stuff. But I did go and stand on the viewing platform and I watched the young people confidently go into the maze. We're going to do this, Kate, we're going to get there. And I watched them walk past me, full of joy and laughing and joking and then I watched them walk past me the other way, looking a bit confused. And then I watched them walk past me again A bit angry this time. And then I watched them walk past me again. Some of them were lagging behind, uninterested, lost their way, don't know what's happening. And then I watched some of them come out the entrance. And I said, that's not the exit. You need to go back. Eventually, they all made it round. It took about three hours. Yeah, and then we had lunch. It was a blazing hot day. But you know, that's mazes, isn't it? That's what happens. And similarly, when we choose to walk with God, it's very rarely a journey from A to B in a straight line. 
We very rarely know everything that's about to happen and how we're going to deal with it. Often it's more like walking through a maze. We have times of anger and times of laughter and times of grumpiness and times when we really have to be determined. And sometimes we feel we're going to give up because we actually just can't do it. We may even feel that we come out to the beginning where we started, even when we've been following God for years, and we really don't know what's happening. But in reality, this is our journey of faith. It's not a journey that answers all our questions and gives us unwavering belief, but it's one that allows us, in our questioning and uncertainty, to delve deeper into God, to draw closer to him, to call out to him time and time again, to reveal something more to us, something new. So that in our doubts and our questioning and our uncertainty, we can allow these to lead us to keep growing and developing and deepening our relationship until one day, just like Thomas, we can bow before the face of Jesus and there proclaim in front of him, my Lord and my God. And one day we'll know what we mean when we say it. We're going to sing our final hymn together this morning as Michael makes his way up the stairs. (laughs) Be thou my vision. I feel I should be saying something more because Michael's still making his way up the stairs. But we could stand together. And I just want to remind you that there is coffee and tea after the service. And I think there's some... Easter something as well. Surprise, go and have a look at the coffee hatch and enjoy. But do stay and chat and go and see Mark Christian, chat to Lydia, say hello to Michael and Esther. Michael's there now, I can stop talking. Let's sing our final hymn together.